0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Football Fanalytics podcast in association with 23 This is the show that combines our love of football and very average Sunday league playing experiences with our knowledge of football statistics and data analytics. It's episode 19 and we're back after a short break. My name is Mark Carey and joining me as ever, we like to call him Very Agreeable Ryan or VAR for short. (laughs) It's Ryan Bailey.
1: Since when have I been very agreeable?
0: Well, no, I just, mate, come on, I wanted to just do VAR, didn't I? Very agreeable, Ryan, <laughs> and agreeable was the only A I could think of, uh, off the cuff, but I just wanted to get a VAR little quip in.
1: Yeah, well, I think you did a good job, actually. I, I you know, I wouldn't have known what words you could have used with a V <laughs> and an A, so, uh, you know, good use of the R, though. Um, VAR. I mean, we've had two weeks off, haven't we? And obviously, VAR is one of the things that's been at the forefront, as always. Um, it's been very odd not speaking to you for two weeks, but um, yeah, how have you been? I'm good
0: mate. Yeah, I've been uh, super busy as I know that you have as well. I know that's why we haven't been able to to record last week, but we are we're back with a bang. We've watched a lot of football. We're ready to talk about a lot of football. Um and yeah, there's been some big news that's that's happened since since we last recorded the sad passing of Diego Maradona, which has struck the footballing world really hard like across obviously across the the whole world, but the the outpouring of um of emotions from from everyone has been quite something to see, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, because I think we obviously weren't born in that generation. We're both 90s children. And, um, you know, everybody knows that Diego Maradona was an absolute legend of the game. You know, you'd you'd have to have been living under a rock for a long time if you didn't know that he was a good player. But I don't think I realised quite how sort of iconic Diego Maradona was until, which I guess is so often the way with, you know, star people isn't it yeah. but until he's passed away i yeah. i didn't quite realize the the mania that sort of followed him around i actually watched the diego maradona film the other night the one by asif kapadia who did the, the amy winehouse film and senna oh and it was phenomenal it was as i say the mania i think is the word but i didn't realize during his time at napoli when you when you watch all the footage of like journalists and fans that just crowding around him all the time he had an entourage of hundreds wherever he went and i think i just didn't realize what a sort of superstar he was at at that time um you know that you hear a lot of people sort of go on about how he was the most famous man in the world and he was just adored slash revered slash every every word you could think of wherever he went and it's it's a really yeah i'd really highly recommend it if you haven't seen it it, it kind of you have a new perspective and there's obviously a darker side to you know maradona stuff which i guess kind of emphasizes the amazing beautiful talented side that you see so yeah it's it's been quite a it's been really amazing reading all the tributes and everything hasn't it yeah
0: absolutely and i echo what you said there. i haven't actually seen the 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 documentary but i guess i guess he was a, a victim of his own popularity and a victim of his own success really which is why you can sort of understand why he he had such a troubled life outside of football i suppose being on the pitch was probably his his release and he could just be completely free which is why he was such a good uh, another reason why he was such a good player that he was able to just express himself but he had yeah maybe as you say so many people around him that not all of those people around him were maybe trustworthy people or the best people to to help support him through his life and his career um and and yeah a life cut short for sure in terms of only 60 years old um I haven't watched that documentary. The thing that I watched when I was a kid, actually, was... Um, I don't know whether you've watched this, but I used to watch it over and over again. It's called In the Hands of the Gods. Do you know this? No, I haven't seen that, no. So it's a documentary, and it basically follows um, a number of English fu- football freestylers. And one of them is actually yeah. um, Jeremy Lynch, you know, the Oh 2 yeah, yeah, freestylers. Yeah, and essentially what they do is they they try and busk their way. I think they, they start off in New York, I think. They get a flight to New York. And they try and busk their way to Buenos Aires to meet Diego Maradona. And that's their primary purpose, to raise money. And they tell everyone and they've just got shrines of him. And I I won't ruin the whole documentary, but to some degree, they get to meet Maradona. And when you actually see him or they see him in in the flesh, they just break down just in absolute tears because he is a a godlike figure. And yeah, as you say, before our time in terms of seeing you know the games he's playing every week but um you can't deny that he was just yeah on a different level and perceived to be like a god since since he arrived on the scene
1: and i think we obviously have that with lionel messi and ronaldo these days i think we're both camp messi uh, when it comes to our sort of favorite yeah but the difference from sort of watching everything i've watched and read everything i've read i, I don't think messi has the kind of celebrity star quality of maradona at the time which maybe has benefited him in, in lots of ways and i just think that it, it, at you know maradona was the first of his kind to be that sort of like rock star wasn't he of, i mean i know george best was the same but it, you know in italy at that time in a city that was so sort of uh poor and needed needed a lift he kind of went there and was just everything and more and it's yeah it's just pretty it's pretty amazing when you start looking into it it's as i say as People not born of that generation, I had no idea. So it's been it's been very sort of touching and exciting at the same time to uh, to sort of look at all that stuff.
0: Yeah, again, I I do agree. I think Messi's got a lot more people around him who protect his public image, whereas you didn't really have that. My understanding, you didn't really have that in no. you know in the eighties and and especially around Maradona. So I think there's definitely more of a explicit way of working to to make sure that that Messi is kind of deemed to to be quite a clean character as well, because then that's going to... Yeah, gonna, protected. Yeah, protected. It's going to you know, help his clean image and then only just focus on how good he is on the ball. Um, but I mean, we've definitely had that with, with Messi, haven't we? In that, how many years ago now was it? Two years ago that we, we wanted to... A bit like people will have definitely done with Maradona, just to be in the same space as Messi, that we made sure that we, uh, we flew to Barcelona to watch, to watch Messi play. Final game of the season, yes. wasn't it? At the New Camp. At the New Camp, and he was on the bench.
1: <laughs> he was. <laughs> Honestly, I've never experienced fear <laughs> like it when when we saw when we sort of realised that last game of the season. Oh my God, they're going to rest him. They've yeah. already won the league. Full disclosure:
0: think... we did. It, he eventually came on. We saw him for he half an hour, on. and we were in the same space as Lionel Messi. But
1: oh, it was a hairy few moments though when we realised that he was on the bench. But actually, it ended up being brilliant, didn't it? Because it was Iniesta's last ever game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, it actually became a big moment when he came off the bench onto the pitch because he handed Iniesta handed over the armband to Messi. So if anything, we got to see a monumental moment, didn't we?
0: Oh yeah. Oh, it was unbelievable with all of the the ceremony after and, and everything like that. But I guess yeah, just <laughs> linking back to why we were sort of talking about it was that yeah, we just wanted to say because Messi is our Maradona of our generation. Yeah, of our time. Is that we wanted to say that we have been in the presence of. The, one of the world's greatest footballers um, and I just would fit. have hated
1: to have grown up and not you know said to my grandkids or whatever oh you were you know you were alive at the time Messi was alive and, um, and not having seen him play you know mm-hmm. that would have been just the worst like to be sort of a young in our 20s when Messi was about and you know. So now we've done it. We've done it. And I've seen Ronaldo. You've you've seen Fernando Torres probably. Yeah. I've seen Ronaldo there. as well, mate. Don't worry about that. Have you? I have indeed, yeah. We've we've ticked him off. Anyway, we should probably get talking about this week's pod, shouldn't we?
0: Yeah, let's let's crack on with the, this week's episode. So, we're always on the the lookout for listeners to get in contact with us to to ask us to discuss any any topic within analytics. And we've been really pleased to get a, an email from uh, Miles who says the following, right? And I think this is going to shape the rest of this episode. So starts off with a really nice comment to say, I'm a big fan of the pod, and I think you guys have been doing some great stuff, so keep up the good work. Nice Love start. Love that. Good start. Uh, he said, a subject I think would be a really good pod to listen to is explaining expected threat, which is a very useful tool to understand the consistency of the attacking ability of a player, which is very true and it's a great model. He said, you guys are very good at simplifying metrics, so it'd be really useful to listen to get your take on that metric. Once again, I look forward to a new pod and hope you guys both well during these unusual times. Very kind email from Miles.
1: I'm a fan of Miles, I have to say, already.
0: Yeah, no, really nice uh, email to receive. And Miles is actually a, um, a performance analyst at a professional club as well. So it's good to to see that we are got, we've got a wide-reaching audience, which is great. Lovely stuff. And yeah, we, we do encourage all people to get in contact. And I suppose this is this is what we'll do with it. If people get in contact and ask us to discuss stuff, we are more than happy to do so. And um, yeah, expected threat is a very interesting metric. It's um, something which has been created by um, by Karun Singh, who uh, um, does some fantastic work. I've, I've seen him do a, a presentation, it's actually earlier this year, but it feels like a lifetime ago, um, at the OptoPro Analytics forum. And he, discussed a different topic but the clarity of his his work and the innovation of his work is is brilliant um but but one of the main things that he's known for one of the key models and metrics is expected threat so i thought in this episode ryan we could um break that down and and have a chat about that if that works for you
1: that works phenomenally for me i i love that people can just create expected threat do you know what i mean or or these models i'd I'd love to be able to just go right i'm going to create a model today Expected threat sounds cool as well, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs>
0: yes, it does sound cool. Expected threat. I mean, it's built off the whole expected goals, expected assists, and, and looking yeah. at that kind of probability side of things. And uh, we'll come on to exactly what it is. But, yeah, I think you can't underestimate just how good some of the, the work is that's going on publicly um, in the analytics community and and the innovation, as I said, of of thinking of these things to ultimately and be able to answer questions, which better helps you understand um, the, you know, the likelihood of scoring a goal or the likelihood of winning a match. Um, there's some brilliant work going on. So this is a perfect one to discuss, I think.
1: Beautiful. Am I right in saying that you mentioned expected threat a-, a while back? Episode six, The Simple Pass, seems like a long time ago. But I remember when we were sort of covering all things passing, you spoke about uh, something called an XG chain and the possession value framework that's right i was listening to both those things <laughs> uh, <laughs> um uh, you know they were the ones which sort of assigned value to to points in the move weren't they points within within a possession within a goal uh, you know who contributed a certain amount to that certain move so is this something that kind of links to that how would you explain expected threat differently to those models
0: yeah, it's it's similarly based upon those and it's something which I did want to discuss in in episode 6 but I thought we'd we'd introduce two new models and I thought three in all in the same episode might be a bit too much but Yeah, it don't does, ever do it. Yeah, but it it does kind of build off that in terms of modeling um, the yeah, the value of a possession of how how much that improves the likelihood of a player or the team scoring. But I think it's really innovative in that it doesn't rely on a shot actually being taken. So put simply, what expected threat is, the definition of expected threat is that it's a metric which quantifies how likely a team is to score from each location on the pitch within the next five actions. Okay. So a key thing to say as I mentioned, which XG Chain does have where it it very quickly, XG Chain looks to see for every shot that was taken, we got you've got a certain expected goals value. So let's yeah. say let's say it's zero point three. You've got into a good position. You've got zero point three um, probability of that shot going in. Yes. What it does is then work back and say, okay, there were three players within that move who in that piece of possession. So what we'll do is equally... since they
1: overturned possession, basically, yes, from, from, from when
0: the possession starts. From when the possession starts, yeah, thank you, and and say that there were three for simplicity. What they'll do is portion up that XG and say each person gets 0.1 XG on their tally. So each person gets equal credit for how much they contributed to that shot being taken. Yes. Now, what that doesn't do, which we discussed in episode six, is maybe say that the certain pass might have had, or the certain action might have more value than others. So of those three people, one might do a mazy run, one might do a two yard pass, one might take a shot, very different actions but they each get equal credit Mm -hmm. whereas when we spoke about possession value framework uh, and the same is is true of expected threat that it doesn't rely on a shot being taken in order to then portion up how much a a player or a team can increase the the likelihood of scoring so it it tries to find a bit more of the hidden value that you would not, not necessarily find um, if you just looked at expected goals, because it's just based on shots.
1: Yes. So, as in, like you could create an amazing move. I could, I could run the length of pitch. You know, dink it up to someone on the edge of the six-yard box. But then, because the keeper's intercepted it, there's no shots been taken, which means that it wouldn't go down as. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's almost lost in the yeah in yeah the, the fact that not a shot yeah a shot wasn't taken, but then in my term- chance
1: creation has then gone you know my run has just gone completely unregistered yeah in, in xg chain almost yeah
0: in terms of dominance of play you could do that yeah. five times in five minutes but if you were if you which i take, often do yeah which you often do on a <laughs> side but within those five occasions if a shot wasn't taken in any of those five then if you were to just look at it yeah in in xg for the for your team you, you got yeah. zero but the yeah. dominance of actually what happened there and the story that it's telling is far greater there that you know that you are um getting into threatening positions and you are um, yeah, dominating the opposition. Lovely. So, for fear of completely butchering Karoon's model, because I'm sure that he could say it far <laughs> more elegantly, elegantly, and well, he has said it far more elegantly than than you or I could. Um, and by the way, we'll we'll definitely include the uh, the blog of his, which is so detailed, so interactive, so interesting. Um, we'll include that in the in the bio. Um, so, yeah, for fear of completely butchering, it, I think the the key thing of of expected threat is that it it portions up locations on the pitch and identifies through complex analytics identifies what areas of the pitch are most threatening to score a goal or to to take a shot within the next five actions so it Got it. It, it doesn't mean that you're going to take a shot from near the halfway line but it says that if you're at the halfway line where where on the pitch are you most likely to then pass it to and we can do this on a team by team basis and how how do you then build up the play to get into the most threatening position to score a goal within the next five actions and you can actually model that to say okay this is this is the pattern that's going to occur
1: so let me just double check that i understand this so far so it's about assigning a value of how dangerous specific areas are within the pitch so if i'm in my favorite right back position Obviously, at the moment, my threat level isn't as high as if I was on the edge of the six-yard box. But say if I do within five passes, get it to very close to the six-yard box, the expected threat is much higher than where I was at right-back position.
0: Yeah, I think. But yeah, but I think what's interesting, which is, is what this model allows you to do, is that you don't necessarily have to always kind of converge towards the goal. In that a threatening position might be that sort of classic. David Silver pass which plays it between the centre-back and the full-back towards yeah. let's say the byline for then maybe the full-back to for City to whip it across goal and then it be a, a tap-in that that pass by David Silver has split the defence but it's actually passing potentially away from the goal so intuitively right. you would think that okay well that's actually less threatening because it's going away from the goal but the fact that that pass has opened up a, a threatening area for let's say Carl Walker to to, you know, play it across the goal means that within the next couple of actions that does go in, but that was the key pass that led to the increased threat that opened the, up that bit of play. That was. opened up that bit of play. So it's crediting David Silver kind of accordingly to make sure that he is he well, we know that he is a threatening player anyway, but yeah. um but yeah, that that threat value could be going away from the goal, but it's opening up a space which is um which is going to lead to a shot being taken in the next five actions
1: that's brilliant because it kind of gives value to creative players who aren't necessarily the ones who are throwing in the crosses or you know putting in the final pass all the time doesn't it you know that assist before the assist thing that often gets banded about but also the assist before the assist before the assist before the assist it is it, it's just quite good that you know it gives those creative players from slightly deeper some kind of recognition of their uh, their contributions almost from from what i'm Get in.
0: Yeah, exactly, and that's something that we spoke about with the possession value framework, where it credits people of how much they increase, yeah, the, the chance of scoring. But then this is also looking at it in terms of location of where exactly that is as well. And you can you can divide it by team as well. So you might say that for Manchester City at the moment, that channel between the the centre back and the the opposition back where Kevin De Bruyne operates, is where Man City are most likely to have a high expected threat so as well as Kevin De Bruyne as an individual increasing that you can see that there's there's going to be a real highlighted area that in that location of the pitch that's where that they're going to they operate as, as most threatening whereas let's say Crystal Palace might be heavily reliant on Wilfred Zaha to create a lot of threat so that there you can model where their threat is most likely to come from as well as the player the area of the pitch as well so I think that's where it maybe differs from possession value framework, which looks at it on a player by player basis. Whereas expected threat also helps in looking at where on the pitch that is, and it divides it up in terms of location on the pitch.
1: Brilliant. I've got to ask though, and I've got to put you on the spot slightly. We need So how has it worked out? Because obviously, you know, what what is a threatening situation? could be deemed as subjective to some football fans you know you might think that depending on how you like your crosses put in you know a a section deeper up the pitch where Trent likes to stick in his whipped crosses might be more threatening than you know on the byline crossing it back so so how does it work out what is deemed to be a threatening area and 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 assign the value to it
0: you always get the easy jobs, Ryan of asking these (laughs) questions and I have to answer (laughs) the hard ones I mean for for people who really do want to go into the the granularity of it we obviously encourage you to to read karoon's uh, blog um, but essentially that yeah rather than people just say that's threatening that's not this is this is based on complex maths of which essentially what what karoon's model has done is enter all and I think it was from the 2017 18 premier league season is enter yeah. all on-field actions so every event that's happened within certain areas of the pitch because you can get the location information
1: um of every area on the pitch and so every pass every dribble every shot every you know every kind of thing that happens exactly
0: yeah and that's that's what's called event data yeah and essentially look at all of the the actions that were taken within each possession within every location on the pitch that happened within the next five actions of that action happening what then was the probability, and we always come back to this with expected goals, between zero and 100%, or yep. or you can reduce that down between zero and one, and you can do it as a decimal. What was the probability within the next five actions that, that they will score within those next five actions? And you can just portion out all around the pitch.
1: So they're basically running like hundreds and thousands of clever al- algorithms for every single event in area, I don't know, D2, when when someone plays a pass to
0: it's not battleship, you know
1: L three. <laughs> I just in my head, I'd like a had a chessboard like Trent plays knight pass to E three, and, <laughs> and you know. Then, but but in all seriousness, then so then what happens when you've the many many passes that have then been played from this square on the left hand side to slightly in the centre? What's happened? every single time from that pass. Is that is that kind of what it is in the most basic of terms.
0: Yeah, and you can you can build it up as well so that and Karun says it again far more elegantly than I can, but um that you've you've got two options really of well, you've got you got three options really. When you've got the ball in any area of the pitch, you can either pass it, you can either move with it, so carry it or yeah. dribble it, or you can shoot. And you you know, in theory you could shoot from your own half, but the likelihood of you scoring is going to be very, very low. So he he does it really neatly with highlighting it on the pitch with this interactive um, tool that he's got on the blog is that you can say, okay, let's say you are somewhere on the right-hand side, just got into your own half. Using what we know from previous data, previous information, which was that 2017-18 season, typically the, the areas that are highlighted more, it's green in this case, more green, you know that when you're in X location. Let's say it was the right wing. It can model where is most likely that the player will then either move to, or pass to, or in some cases shoot as well. Yeah. So it says that it can model what is the the most threatening area to pass it to, um, based on what's happened previously. So it looks to this is what modeling is, I guess, in analytics. It looks as what happened in the past as a prediction for what is going to happen in the future
1: fantastic i need to get this blog up and have a look at it i need to i need to have a play with this
0: yeah well you open up the blog and let's have a chat through it and, uh, and go through some examples then okay ryan so have you got the blog open in front of you
1: i have got the blog open karun i'm in your work
0: <laughs> okay so i think one of the things which I, i'd like to explain in a, a bit more detail is a really nice analogy. Um, that Karuna's taken from, um, from someone else, I think in American sports analytics, I think it was basketball analytics. And it, it shows that the, there's a lot of analytics that goes on which look at kind of the, the important thing right before, let's say, the shot. And it shows the things that you can see of kind of noticeable value. Yes. But the analogy that he makes is that it's a bit, looking at it like that, is like looking at the final move in a game of chess just before it results in checkmate which is obviously the the end point the end goal in chess but it doesn't look at the the key moves that might have occurred several turns before which then allowed that checkmate to occur so the sort of the hidden value in the the tactics to, to reach that end point was really so crucial rather than just necessarily that that final point before the checkmate
1: that is, re- yeah, that's really helpful to explain it. I have also been watching the Queen's Gambit, so uh, I, I each each move like that has names to it. So maybe like maybe certain football moves can be allocated, like you know Ronaldinho's mission or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's topical as well. Look, we're doing yeah. everything here, but
1: no, that really does that really does explain it because it's kind of it's really important what you do with 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 the end move, the checkmate, you know, in sight. you you're, you're, you're you're putting building blocks in place aren't you to be able to end with that move so i guess it's they're they're just as important as the final piece that's taken that's that's essentially what it is and hopefully that's what expected threat kind of is as well
0: yeah exactly it is looking at the the build up play to of which there might be a really important move within that build up play which i don't know could be a case of dragging a player out of position as well to get into that zone which then is almost like the key to unlock that chance people typically in well, other analytics models have just looked at the key to the chance but then it's the yes. opening of the i don't know if i'm continuing this analogy too much let's just stick with the chess analogy <laughs> but that it's it's look it's going further and further back of just making sure that this there might be several passes before which are that key um to, to open it up i don't know why i've gone into keys and doors but just stick with the chess but it's but it's assigning it, it, as Karun again elegantly puts it it's assigning value to those zones that that reflect not just their immediate shooting value of which yeah if you were in the just over the halfway line then your immediate shooting value would be very low but the future rewards that that they can bring by moving that ball from position or zone x to zone y and then that might be might be the key to actually creating a chance
1: brilliant there's actually a brilliant example here as well it's a pass that i remember saying in our fabled episode the simple pass you know that um that Ozil pass which like he's on the edge of the box and he sort of splits open you can't even see where he's passing to at the very start and then Kalasinac sort of arrives out of nowhere and he sort of plays this amazing through pass which results in Kalasinach then uh cutting back for Aubameyang to finish and I've always remembered that pass as such a a work of art but actually this expected threat model looks at that and, and asks you to kind of guess what Value is assigned to Özil's pass, the assist before the assist, uh, and Kalasinac's uh, pass. And here it says that that's eighty-six percent according to this model of Özil's contribution to that move. Um, so it's without, without getting the without getting the assist.
0: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it's weighting the contribution of Özil yes. here um, quite heavily, despite Kalasinac being the actual one to get the assist. And I think assists are, as we've established before, assists themselves are quite a misleading statistic in themselves because yeah, you can definitely. just play, play a two-yard pass and, and someone goes on a mazy run and scores but yes, someone gets an assist, that's not really an indication of their creativity. Whereas, as you say here in this Ozil one, which is which is on Karun's blog, um, is the one where, again, this is what I mentioned before, that it's an unbelievable pass but he's actually playing it kind of further away from the goal really. Yes, than he is. Exactly, but he's putting it into a highly threatening area at the byline for Kolasinac to just pull it back for, for Aubameyang. So, that's exactly the the point we're making is that it doesn't necessarily have to kind of converge towards the goal each time, potentially no, like expected goals. No, not distance goals. to goal. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's okay, he's got it into an area of threat and that, yeah, that threatening position means that within the next couple of actions, the next five actions, the, the there's going to be a, uh, a greater chance of a, a goal being scored.
1: Absolutely. Another cool thing I can see that you can do, which is quite fun, you know I love an interactive sort of uh, thing you can play around with, is you can click on the different uh, zones, can't you, the different areas, and it will tell you, you know, to so say I want to click edge of the center circle, I can then also reduce the number of passes. So, you know, you mentioned before about the how. what's the expected threat for in five actions, am I right? If, if you can then reduce that to like four or three, and it will give you a different value, I think that's really cool to kind of say, you know, to kind of work out the the value of those things.
0: Yeah and this is where if you were to just look at expected goals in terms of location that yeah the center circle would be ridiculously low because no one ever the probability of people scoring from there is is extremely low but this is why then when it's in the next two three four five actions you start start to then get a picture of where on the pitch they are then likely to actually pass it to and then you can literally model it and build it with this visualization to say okay well typically when you're in the center circle and let's say on a team basis typically when yeah man city are in the center circle they'll maybe play it to the wings maybe play it into the left or right channel then to the byline and then to a cross goal 6 yard area and then in you can start to map where a team is likely to get into those threatening areas yeah. within those next five actions and that's really good from a from a club perspective there's always what we speak about isn't it of you know the so what and how can this be applied is that before, before a game, you can use this expected threat model to say, well, where do our opposition get into these threatening areas and where can we target and maybe try and nullify them um, by knowing which zones they are most likely to, to create threat from within the next few actions. So if you can stop it at the source, and let's say that it is maybe on the left-hand side, then it doesn't then lead to, do you know what I mean, further chance actually happening further down the line.
1: Absolutely. I didn't even think of it really as sort of a looking at how teams play or like a stylistic thing. But now I'm looking at these, there's there's a few visualisations on here that um, for each team. And they've got kind of like a cool, funky looking 3D map. Um, but it's quite interesting. You can see from the 2017-18 season, you can see that Stoke City almost have more threat value nearer their own penalty area which sort of identifies like a like a long ball style doesn't it that then if you compare that to like Man City's visualization there's there's no squares illuminated there at all so it really kind of shows you where that that, that's a different way of playing doesn't it almost for them
0: yeah I think that's a really well highlighted difference between Stoke and, and Man City there in that yeah they have highlighted areas within their own area and we can work that out to say that within the next five actions they're they have an increased likelihood of scoring as you say yeah. meaning that they go from their own penalty area to a long ball and then get Lump it into it a danger long. zone then they maybe have this pomo uh way of working which we've had in previous episodes haven't we yeah position of maximum opportunity where they just use <laughs> use it from yeah their defensive area get it into what they deem to be a uh, a high quality area of just the opposition box just boot it up there maybe um and then they do tend to have some success from it, as you say, rather than Man City who have more of a considered build-up and then they have more of a methodical approach to uh, to get the ball into a danger zone.
1: Absolutely. It's very interesting. So just so before we, you know, sort of wrap up, just so I'm very clear. So is each pass, for instance, or move, or, you know, any of those three things that you said before, from one area of the pitch to the other, say I dribble from one bit, will my movement from zone a to zone b be assigned a value then within this model or say i pass it from zone b then to to zone c which is a bit of a longer pass will that then have its own expected threat value
0: yeah good question i think this is where it it has nice uh, parallels with the possession value framework where you can then give someone credit where credit's due and that's going back to that ozil pass where he has increased the the likelihood of scoring there more so than Kalasinac, so he gets more uh, by that pass going from zone a to zone b as you say um gets gets far more credit there than kolasinac so that's where you can sort of see that more hidden value of a player and and yeah absolutely you can add it up and then see that they have you know certain players have higher expected threats than others but so in that respect it is similar to the possession value framework we spoke about in episode six but um it's also important to look at the location on the pitch and this is where it's where it really differs that you can see Per team and in general, where highly threatening areas on the pitch, as well as uh, as actually on an individual player by player basis.
1: Fantastic. It'd be interesting to know how you could measure movement off the ball. So just to ride with this Özil Klasnac example you know Colasinatch run there kind of comes out of nowhere you when you're watching the footage you you don't even realize where Ozil's passing to until he's done it Colasinatch sort of bombs down the left side into that area and that run is really intelligent you know if that run doesn't happen that pass doesn't happen and that expected threat value isn't assigned so is there anything that kind of will give credit to Colasinatch's movement there i guess that's taking it up a notch really isn't it
0: yeah i think that Karun has, has put it in his um, in his model and there's another, there's a really interesting talk that he's done. We can put that on the, the bio as well um, where he says about, I think he portions it up as um, expected threat kind of made and expected threat received. So those wow. who receive the ball in threatening areas and those who put the ball into threatening areas. So I think that's a really neat distinction there to, to almost divide it between Ozil and Kalasinac, as as you gave the example there. So I think that's, that's a really important one um, and again, you can refer to to Karun's talk for that which which we'll link in the bio but so yeah this this model relies on event data as we've said so any on the ball event that happens so it'll only track the expected threat when someone is on the ball and it'll track the movement of the ball but and this is something which Karun comes on to as well in in his talk of what happens if someone drags a player completely. no they're not on the ball at all but they drag a player completely out of position in order to open up that threatening area and that's something which happens quite a lot and again maybe thinking about you know Liverpool and this salient example here of of uh, Roberto Firmino comes in short and maybe drags a uh, in a false nine role drags a defender with him in order to exploit that space and that area of increased threat for Mane and Salah to come in from the wing and actually maybe go a bit more centrally so how is Roberto Firmino then given that credit there which is an essential Part of making sure that there's part that, of that move, exactly part of that move, but then he doesn't necessarily get it. So, no. I think we've spoken about this before in terms of tracking data, which is where it looks at all of the players' off the ball movements and off the ball yeah. events. That they it's, it's incredibly sort of complex in terms of I think it's that they have their GPS on the pitch, so their location on the pitch at four times every second i think so in a 90 minute oh, game much. you're talking about hundreds of thousands upon millions of data points per player but you can actually model it of where where they move the the overall system of the opposition about to create more threatening um more threatening positions and i think a really neat analogy of that is that if you compare event data what happens on the pitch and what happens on the ball Versus the tracking data, which opens up a whole new level, is a bit yeah. like, and I've, I've heard someone say this before, a bit like listening to football on the radio, is that you only hear what's going on. But you can't yes. tell that someone's making a mazy run or you know, dragging another player out of position unless yeah. you see it visually. So comparing what happens on the radio, just the event, pure events, versus when you see it on the television where you can see a real broad picture of all the dynamic of everything that's going on. Is kind of that analogy that I think is really neat to compare event data and tracking data, if that makes sense.
1: That does make sense. I think I'm going to need to lie down after that because that's very that's a lot for my brain to take in. Yeah. But it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? And it's amazing the the level of in depth analysis. Obviously, is a stupid thing to say on an analytics podcast because you know that's that's this ever growing fantastic world. But it is really quite amazing what you know the innovations that people come up with, isn't it? to... Um, to, to get the best possible performance analysis out there and going, yeah, it's very, very interesting and well explained.
0: Yeah, and it's just going yeah deeper and deeper each time because you can you can just look at how many goals a team has scored or whatever it might be. But there's just so much more detail that you can go into, and it can open up um, more possibilities and answer more questions to get a real in-depth understanding, you know, of the opposition or of your own team. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that that off the ball movement. Going back to the expected threat could be really useful in terms of there might be some players who increase the expected threat of the team purely by moving off the ball. I think that'd be really valuable going forward, and it may be that Karun has actually already done that. Uh, in which case, we'd love to have him on the pod, and he can explain it. I'm yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, we might have to redo the episode when Karun actually explains it properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really hope
0: that we haven't butchered this uh, this whole explanation, <laughs> but I do think it's a brilliant model, and uh, and thanks again to Miles for. For getting in contact to, to ask us to discuss it, yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, we'd be more than happy to, to discuss more, uh, more analytics models or more topics that, that uh, anyone wants us to. But to do that, you have to get in contact with us, get in touch, and you know how to do that. And that is at fanalytics.pod at gmail.com, or of course, you can get in contact with us on Instagram or Twitter at fanalyticspod. Um, Ryan, I'm going to leave you to your lie down now. Sorry for throwing quite a lot at you there, but um an interesting one i hope you agree um thank you for your time as ever ryan thank you everybody for listening we will see you next time sports social podcast network